Hey, hey, guys and gals, Cable here, and this week's podcast is brought to you by the Go Wild app. See, if you're like me, you post your successes of your hunting and fishing trips on your social media outlets, and undoubtedly, that results in trolls and gutless punks coming on my outlets and telling me to go to hell or telling my kids to get run over by a bus. Um, it's sad what our society has come to. And that's why uh, I've been spending a lot more time on the Go Wild app. See, this is a place created by outdoorsmen for outdoorsmen and women. There's no hate. There's no vulgarity. It's just people encouraging each other, sharing in our successes and failures, and uh, and sharing cool stuff like recipes as well. So if you want to be a part of something like that, just go over to the Go Wild app. It's free. Did I mention that? It's free. Download it onto your iPhone or Android and become a part of a very fast-growing community. And I look forward to seeing you over there. If you want a good gal to stay around, you got to treat her nice and kind. If you do her wrong, she'll leave this town and you'll Good morning, good morning, good morning. That is the original outlaw himself. Hank Williams, Moaning the Blues, kicking things off for us on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Cable Smith here with you today. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. I appreciate each and every one of you. Truly do. Thanks to our presenting sponsors as well, Lone Star Beer. And our friends over at Hoff Power Polaris, as we have got, man, we've got a great show lined up for you today. So, y'all know what to do by now as we celebrate opening weekend of rifle season in Texas. It's, uh, I know, many of y'all's favorite weekend of the year. You've got that big boy pattern, <laughs> and he might just slip up. You never know. Uh, but... The rut is, and I've been getting reports of, of rutting activity from the Texas Hill Country and North Texas, although I'm still seeing bucks bachelor up on one of my places uh, around Wichita Falls. Hey, that was last week. They could be trying to gore each other to death by this point. It's just the life of a whitetail buck is so fascinating, right? I'm buddies with these dudes. We're best friends. We don't go anywhere. They're like girls that go to the bathroom together. Seriously, bucks are. Uh, they don't do a damn thing without each other until November. And then it's like they get this crazy-eyed look. And that old boy standing next to them that's been their running buddy for most of the year, all of a sudden they want to stab him to death with what essentially amounts to pitchforks attached to either side of their head. It's absolutely insane. Fascinating. I mean, I'm <laughs> I'm captivated. By the life cycle of the white-tailed buck. Anyway, uh, we've got a great show lined up for you. Off the top, we are going to talk uh, something that you might not think has anything to do with hunting or our way of life. And I'm talking about greyhound racing in the state of Florida. It is up for vote as to whether this state that is richly ingrained in racing tradition will ban greyhound racing altogether. there's still 11 tracks open in florida right now today 
why does this matter? Why do I care? Why should you care? It's because the legislation for Amendment 13 is written so vaguely that it could have dire implications for hunters and anglers alike because uh, there's a lot of trickery going on from animal rights activists. And we will have Jack Corey of the Florida Greyhound Association and American Greyhound Association. Uh, He will be here to help us understand why sportsmen and women, we need to unite. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Uh, This is a very important matter. I truly believe so, and I think you will as well once you understand exactly what this legislation says or or doesn't say. Uh, So that's coming up momentarily. Then we'll talk some pop-up blinds. Uh, I recently, uh, I've had some great experiences with pop-up blinds this fall. Uh, Unexpectedly, to be honest, I've traditionally not been the biggest proponent of pop-ups. Had some bad luck and a a miss that still haunts me to this day with a bow out of a pop-up and really just kind of bailed on them. Said, you know what, I'd rather hunt out of a tree stand. Well, this year I decided for one reason or another, mostly through procrastination, that I was going to uh, hunt a lot more out of pop-ups. And I've had friends that have had success. Clearly, other people in the outdoor industry swear by them. Uh, So I said, you know what, we're going to give these things a whirl this season. And uh, last week, I found success. I'll give you my thoughts on that and and what I think you can get away with concerning pop-ups because I think you can get away with a lot more than most people realize. Then we will wrap up the broadcast by talking some Midwest Giants with my good friend Mike Pavlik of Golden Triangle Whitetail, uh, the oldest, longest-running outfitter in Illinois and the legendary Pike County area. Uh, Why do the bucks grow so big there? I don't know. Is it genetics? Is it food? Is it a combination of both? And uh, and how does Mike routinely get his clients on these giants? Uh, I'm going to be hunting there What for muzzleloader hunt coming up. I think it's November 30th through December 3rd. It's a four-day hunt. And uh, and I'm pumped. Can't wait. Might only be a three-day hunt. I don't know. Got to look at my license. It's sitting in this drawer in the studio. But um, I've never hunted in the Midwest. And I absolutely cannot wait to get one of those big-bodied, giant-racked bucks in my crosshairs. And at that point, it's up to me. (laughs) But uh, I've got high expectations, and we're going to talk Midwest Bucks here with Mike coming up at the bottom of the hour. So lots of whitetail action coming at you today. And I wouldn't have it any other way, to be honest, now that the general gun season is open and not only Texas, but many other states use the first weekend of November to open their rifle seasons as well. So good luck out there. I hope that you punch that tag on your hit list buck. And if you do, be sure to send me a picture because we've got uh, another great photo of the month prize pack going on right now. And we're going to give away one of these executioner pop-up lines from GSM Outdoors. How does that sound? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like them. I think you will too. Uh, retail for 170 bucks, And all you have to do is send in your best hunting or fishing photo to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com or use that Instagram hashtag 
LSOS photo contest. And we'll get you entered. Um, and then our 12 monthly winners from 2018 will square off at the end of the year for a chance to hunt Trophy Axis or Black Buck with me down at Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas. So with that being said, let's do a quick giveaway. I've got right here in my hand. This is the Havilon Peranta Bolt. Uh, when it comes to skinning and processing, this is the knife that I swear by. And uh, retails for like, I don't know, 40 or 50 bucks. I'd have to look at the website. It's a great knife. And I want one of you guys to have it. So email the word Havilon. That's Havilon to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com. And we will get you entered into this week's giveaway. Let's take a break. Coming up next. We're going to talk some greyhound racing and how it could affect the future of hunting and fishing in Florida and elsewhere. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution the system hog trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The system is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Three Curl Outfitters is now offering guided North Texas quail hunts just 30 minutes south of DFW if you're looking for a quality quail hunt close to home, planning a company outing, or just looking for a place to tune up your dogs. You need to give them a call. Hunts are $250 a hunter for a half-day hunt. That includes 15 birds, and you can add extra birds for $8 a piece if you want to give your bird dog just a little more run. You're welcome to bring your own dogs. Otherwise, the guide and dog fee is $150 a day for your entire group. That's not per person. Go to 3curl.com or call 214-641-8097 to book your hunt today. Well, sometimes the There's a little Aubrey Lynn for you, handle on my handle, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, brought to you by Dallas Safari Club. Cable Smith riding shotgun with you today. Thank you for spending a part of your week with me. I do appreciate it. Uh, thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Players as well, as we've got uh, some interesting stuff to get into here regarding dog racing. Now, y'all might saying, well, Cable, what the hell does dog racing have to do with hunting or fishing? And on the surface, I would tell you, not much. But there is an amendment being proposed. It is on the vote right now. It is going on right now. People are voting on it in Florida. Amendment 13. And I truly believe after really diving below the surface and trying to understand what this was all about, that this has everything to do with hunting, fishing, and our way of life. And uh, we're going to get into that here momentarily with Jack Corey, spokesman, publicist uh, for the Florida Greyhound Association. But before we do that, 
uh, this segment of the show is proudly brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas, available right now in the new Lone Star Beer camo can. Grab a 12-pack on your way to the Deer Lease and celebrate knocking down that hit list buck with an ice-cold Lone Star Beer. Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. All right, well, let's talk some Greyhound racing. What do y'all say? Uh, Right, I mean, the Greyhound initially was bred for running deer over in Europe. Uh, Now, and some people actually still use them to hunt coyotes and uh, deer as well. You can still do that in states like Louisiana. Uh, But it's big money. It has been big money in Florida for some time. Why does all this matter? Uh, We're going to get into that now with Jack Corey, of the Florida Greyhound Association. Jack, thanks for being here. Thank you very much. We appreciate the invitation. Absolutely. So first of all, uh, tell us a little bit about the Florida Greyhound Association and and your role, I believe, as uh, are are you the head of the PR or what is your official title? Uh, we're, We're their public affairs representative. We represent the Florida Greyhound Association and the National Greyhound Association before the Florida legislature for their interests in the state of Florida. Okay. And now, do you own greyhounds yourself? I do not, only because of the, the potential conflict of interest. <laughs> we have uh, 12 racetracks. Uh, we have uh, approximately 10 kennels at each track. We have about 8,000 greyhounds in the state, 3,000 uh, uh, p- uh, folks in the industry. So who would I adopt one from or who would I own one from? So it's always <laughs> been a sort of a arm's length situation. I've I've obviously been very, very close to the Greyhounds for the last 10 years. Uh-huh. And do you enjoy going to the track? I do, but I'm not a big gambler. I'm much, I'm much more into the sport, into the animals. Uh, I, I will place a bet if I know the kennel owner or the owner of the dog is a member of our association. Mm-hmm. But frankly, the most exciting thing I have is standing at the rail and watching the animals do what they love to do, which is run just as fast as they can. Absolutely, yeah. I've honestly never been to a Greyhound race. I have been to uh, the horse race, you know, plenty of times. Not a big gambler myself either, but, uh, you know, one time I hit a trifecta, and I think I won like $230, so that was a great day. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but uh, but just like the Greyhounds, those thoroughbreds are, are, are bred to do the same thing. They want to run. Um, you yeah. watch them out in the yeah. pasture, what are they doing? They're running. Um, that's, that's right. They want to do. Um, as far as the Greyhounds, though, these dogs, you know, I did a little research, and, and, I, and I knew that they were bred for hunting, cause, and this is kind of one of those things that a lot of people don't know about, but uh, guys in Kansas drive around in these flatbed trucks with a box on it. They pull a cord when they see a coyote, and they let the greyhounds out, and the greyhounds run, run it down and kill it. I mean, so they are hunters. Um, and I believe they were bred in Europe to pursue or drive deer, correct? That's, that's a variation of the greyhound, uh-huh. and yes, it was. But the, the racing greyhound is much more purebred, much more designed to the track. Uh, that's, that's what they want to do. That's what they do. And they, like a, like a sports player, they do it for two or three years, and then they retire to the couch. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, you know, the, the skill and speed that, that they were bred for, um, you know, with the combination of hunting and, and for racing, it's obviously turned into this, this sport that is, a, you know, a big part of, of our country's history, especially Florida. I mean, um, it looks like Florida has 11 of the 19 remaining tracks in the United States. That's correct. So historically, walk us through. I mean, 
have there been tracks littered throughout much more of America, or how did how did the sport begin to decline, and why? Well, like like any like any other business, like print newspapers or, mm-hmm. or any other industry, it goes through changes. It goes through cyclical changes. Uh, there 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 are states where the uh, horse racing that you pointed out is the predominant sport in that state, and they never wanted to encourage. Uh, greyhound racing. Hmm. There are a lot of states that never had any paramutuals in them, whether it be horses or greyhounds. So uh, it, it's an economic issue, but there is much more uh, competition for the entertainment dollar today than there was 10 years ago. Hmm. Many more states have pro sports. Many more states have other types of entertainment. Many more states have casinos and Indian casinos and other types of uh, uh, paramutuals. Um, uh, we've had uh, uh, greyhounds in Florida, greyhound racing in Florida for over 80 years. Hmm. Uh, it was it was at that time the only game in town, or the, the most predominant. We had a couple horse tracks, but the predominant portion of it was live greyhound racing. If you remember back to the TV program Miami Vice, it opened up with a greyhound race as mm-hmm. part of their opening monologue on the program because that was the history was and is the history of florida and it's a good history it's good history for the state it's a good history for the for the greyhounds uh last year uh, the greyhound tracks grossed over 200 million dollars over 80 million of that was on live greyhound racing but there was also over one billion dollars bet at advanced deposit wagering facilities out of state a good a portion of that on live greyhound racing in the state of florida so we've changed the way we bet there are people sitting at home in their living room uh, in their comfy pants betting on that Greyhound race hmm. in Florida. Unfortunately, it's illegal in the state of Florida, but the state uh, regulators uh, do not try to enforce it. Hmm. Okay. Unfortunately, this might not be the reality for Florida going forward as this Amendment 13, and I just I saw this, uh, I think it was just on social media somewhere, and I was like, okay, that doesn't seem right. And then take a, a further look as someone who owns a hunting dog myself, uh, and, and I see the writing on the wall because this is the work of animal rights activists who, okay, now they're going to try to ban greyhound racing in Florida. They're the same people who a few years back banned hound hunting for black bears and bobcats in California. They've tried to do it in Maine. Who's to say they're not going to come after me, um, guys who run hog dogs, whatever. Why, why would these people stop here? They, they get a little victory here, they're going to gain momentum, and they're going to come after ultimately what, what I believe and why I wanted to have this interview is, is the hunting community. Well, you're 100% correct. That's one of the reasons the National Rights Farming, you know, ag people, guys that ride, you know, use horses or cattle, with, you know, yeah, they're going to come after anyone who's profiting off of animal labor. And, and it's not labor. My dog is born, uh, Jack, she is born to fetch ducks. That is what she Absolutely. lives to do, you know? Right. That's the reason that the National Rifle Association, the Florida Cattlemen Association, and the Florida Farm Bureau have all come out in opposition to Proposition 13. It has, frankly, it has very little to do about greyhound racing. That's mm-hmm. the title of it. But if you look at the actual amendment, it specifically declares the humane treatment of animals is the fundamental value for the people of the state of Florida. That language can be used by radical out-of-state groups to shut down hunting, shut down fishing, and shut down farming. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm looking at the list you sent me. The Declaration of Humane Treatment of Animals is a fundamental value of the people of Florida. Well, right. if, you're, if, you're, if you're asking a greyhound to run, that's what he wants to do already. So how is that inhumane? Right. 
Exactly. Uh, and and, and that's, that's the problem with having vague language like that. Uh, a Florida court has already found that language to be trickeration because the ballot language is misleading when compared to the full amendment text. That language will not appear on the ballot, so the people of the state of Florida will not see that. Uh, that's the reason that the uh, farming and equine enthusiasts and sportsmen have come out in opposition to this proposal because they know that language is there for them. That language is not there for greyhound racing. If it was meant for greyhound racing, it would have said the humane treatment of greyhounds is a fundamental value to the people of the state of Florida, and that would have been the end of it. But the Humane Society of the United States, uh, PETA, uh, and the other national groups that take care of no animal anywhere in the, in the nation are the ones that are pushing this, this just like they are in Arizona and California. Mm-hmm. See, I've had the same, what you just said about uh, HSUS and PETA. I've had this conversation, you know, at least once every few months with someone in the hunting community. It's It's... Uh, it's different to have it with somebody who's is from a totally different standpoint. You know, we're talking about greyhound racing, but at the end of the day, right. it's the same thing. And uh, and to to see that they didn't even put it on the ballot, the de- declaration is not listed on the voters' ballot. So do they? It, it, Amendment 13 is on the ballot, but it yeah. says it's about dog racing. It doesn't okay, say yeah. about the humane treatment of animals. It just it says just dog has racing. A summary. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it has a summary of it. But, it, but it's a summary that does not explain what is actually in the proposed amendment. Uh, that's why the court, a Florida court, uh, found that the language uh, was misleading yeah. compared to the full amendment in text. Wow. Okay. Um, so what have Floridians, you know, what has their response been? Are they ignorant on the fact that, that this means a lot more than just banning greyhound racing? Well, we, we again, as I had said, the Farm Bureau, the Cattlemen's Association, uh, uh, the NRA, uh, many other groups, our, Flor- our State Chamber of Commerce, Florida Tax Watch, which is our, one of our major business groups, have all come out against this. And that, for that reason, uh, many Floridians are being educated uh, that this is a bad amendment and are voting against it. Now, the opposition has spent over $3 million in the state of Florida to try to sell this bad idea. They've not spent one dime on taking care of animals in the state. But they've spent three million dollars on consultants <laughs> and advertising to try to sell this proposition. Isn't that great? Isn't that what they do? Uh, Humane Society and, and PETA, uh, they've never done anything to help the greyhounds, and they've never done a damn thing to help hunting or conservation. All they are are lobbyist machines with an agenda, never giving back to their cause. Uh, it's exactly. just absolutely asinine. And I understand uh, a lot of the money. Um, that they're collecting from from donors are, are from out of state too that have uh, nothing to do with Florida. That's correct. The vast majority of the money has come from out of state. Uh, uh, the Humane Society of the United States owns another group that is called the Doris Day Animal Fund. It has nothing to do with the former actress who's God rest her God bless her heart is in a nursing home somewhere. But they funnel money through that. They put uh, $1.5 million into this campaign coming through the Doris Day campaign. Uh, They've spent $2 million with one company in Denver, Colorado, that last year had one employee and took in only $79,000. This year, the HSUS and Grade 2K have spent $2 million with them for advertising or for whatever purpose they've spent the money with, but none of it is going to take care of animals in the state of Florida or anywhere else for that matter. Hmm. I mean, you guys are like the mecca for uh, snook and tarpon and, uh, you know, you, you have a great sport fishery. 
uh, tons of hunting as well. Or the are the sportsmen and sportswomen are they coming to the ballots and voting? You know, doing their job, understanding what they need to be doing as far as getting this thing shot down. We think so. Uh, like I said, many of their statewide organizations have been out there and speaking in favor, speaking against it for that reason because it, uh, uh, PETA is flying a plane uh, in August over the fishing pier in Fort Myers, Florida, uh, with a banner that said "No hookers on the fishing pier." meaning simply no fishermen on the fishing pier. And that's how radical and absurd some of these groups are. So I, we, we're we very optimistic. Florida is lives uh, on its uh, oceans on, on two sides and on the Gulf, uh, and uh, we're, we're the ocean on one side and the Gulf on the other side. And uh, so our, our, our fishermen, both commercial and uh, sports fishermen, are an extremely important part, and we think they're beginning to get the message. Uh, we have early voting in Florida, as I had mentioned here earlier, so we are already voting. Uh, we have been out at the polling places throughout the state with a greyhound because the greyhound is our secret weapon. When people need a racing greyhound and they see how wonderful they are and how wonderful they've been taken care of, uh, that breaks all the false uh, information being put out by these radical out-of-state national groups. Yeah, and that seems to be like they're the guys that they're doing this behind is all oh, these greyhounds are so mistreated, you know, once they are retired, they don't have a home. And I know that uh, there are plenty of people that are adopting these animals, but uh, generally speaking, I, I, I don't know the, you know, what the underbelly of the industry looks like, uh, but I highly doubt that they're being uh, abused and, and neglected. We, uh, we invited the people of the state of Florida to come see the underbelly. We invited the people of the state of Florida to come to the greyhound kennel. We invited the media to come to the Greyhound Kennel. The opposition filed a complaint with the state regulators uh, trying to enforce a, a rule saying that you can't go into a Greyhound Kennel. Uh, we are uh, participating in civil disobedience and ignoring that rule, and anyone who wants to meet a racing Greyhound can go to our Facebook page, uh, the Florida Greyhound Association Facebook page. My contact information is there. We would be happy to set up a meeting for them to visit with a racing greyhound at any time. We have nothing to hide. The opposition wants you to believe their false statements. They don't want you to see the truth and facts. Hmm. Well, interesting stuff. I, I sincerely hope and pray that this thing gets uh, shot down because, you know, anyone out there that's listening, that, that and I think we've done a good job of explaining how um, if you like to hunt or fish, this is about more than just the greyhound. Uh, it's an attack on on that way of life as well as uh, your right to, uh, and I hate to say this, but your right to own and profit off of an animal. I mean, humans have uh, domesticated animals for thousands and thousands of years. Um, and, you know, if my duck dog didn't want to fetch ducks, I would probably give her to someone else that wanted just a pet. <laughs> you know, I mean, it is what it is. I got If I'm going to feed a dog, it, it's going to be, it's a tool as well. Uh, and that's my right, you know. Uh, at the end of the day, animals are property. Uh, to live in this world where everybody wants to humanize them because of Disney, uh, it's just it's an absolute crock. And and I love my dog. Belle is my best friend. But if she ain't fetching ducks, uh, she's going to find somewhere else to live, you know. <laughs> exactly. So. And, and and that's true with all pets. Every I think everybody that owns animals, certainly in this day and age, we've evolved. We love our animals. But I think there's enough uh, provisions in the Bible that uh, on human treatment of animals and, and what, why God created animals and why they're here. And unfortunately, some folks uh, 
these groups are just political action committees. They don't mm-hmm. take care of any animals. They don't raise money for animals. When you see the sad puppy commercials on television at holiday time for $19 a month, you could save the life of an animal. That's true. But donate that money locally to a local shelter or a local rescue or a local adoption group. Don't send it to Washington, D.C. or New York City or Boston, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And I don't remember the uh, the passage. I might be like uh, Genesis. Uh, I know it's in Genesis, but uh, he uh, delegated us the authority and, and dominion over all the animals of the world. So uh, Exactly. So, well, Jack, I, I certainly do appreciate your time today. Fascinating stuff. And uh, like I said, we will uh, we'll be following along closely and, and hope that this thing gets shot down. Well, we appreciate that, and we, we hope all of your listeners would reach out to all of their friends in Florida, especially their hunters and fishermen, and ask them to vote no on 13 uh, next Tuesday. If they haven't already voted early, get out there and vote early. We will have uh, polling places open uh, Saturday and su- through Saturday and Sunday, and then Right, the last day to vote in Florida will be Tuesday from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. So anybody that's listening to you and has friends in Florida, please pick up the phone, give them a call, and let them know that this talk, this is about hunting and fishing as well as about greyhounds. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you for what you do. Absolutely. There he goes. Jack Corey, spokesman for both the Florida and the American Greyhound Associations. That segment of the presentation, by the way, Brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. You know, land, that's the one thing they ain't making anymore, my friends, but we all want it. So if you're at a point in your life where you're ready to take that next step, take that plunge, and finance your own piece of paradise, whether that's for recreation, hunting, running cattle, or just to get the hell out of the big city, Lone Star Ag Credit has you covered. You can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. We will be right back with some whitetail conversation, specifically how do deer react when you throw a pop-up blind right there in their living room? I've got a personal experience to share with you, and we will get into that next right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Wait on the corner. I love you, but we're strangers when we All right, waterfowl junkies, the finisher is the quick and humane way to dispatch a duck or goose. It's uh, you know, it's unsettling when you've wrung that bird's neck, you throw it in the pile, and 10 minutes later, he's laying there flopping. Uh-uh. We don't want that. That's not ethical. And so the finisher alleviates that. You stick the finisher in the back of the bird's skull at an upward angle, give it a little twist, boom, dead instantly, never felt the thing. The finisher is only 14 bucks. It fits on any waterfowling lanyard, and you can find it at adrenal-line.com. Live Oak Outdoors offers some of the best waterfowl hunting in the Central Flyway, hunting over 2,000 acres of cut rice along the coast that attracts wintering geese by the tens of thousands. Hunts take place out of layout blinds or white parkas over a spread of 1,500 decoys. It's also common to shoot pintail and other puddle ducks in the goose spread. Professional guides make sure you have a safe and memorable hunt of a lifetime. They're based out of El Campo, Texas. Check them out at liveoakoutdoors.com or you can book your hunt by calling Chris Slimp at 832-466-9646. 
Hey, hey, all you waterfowl junkies out there. Cable here for TX Duck Blinds. Highly durable and highly mobile customized duck blinds built by duck hunters for duck hunters. Each blind is built from solid steel by professional welders and field tested before shipment. A duck season will come and go, but guess what? Your TX Duck Blind is built to last. Customize yours today by calling 817-965-1306. You can also find them at texasduckblinds.com or check them out on Instagram and Facebook at TX Duck Blinds. Hey, this is Razor Dobbs. Thank you so much for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Your loving is making me how I'm on. Like a drink of whiskey that goes down smooth. Another ray of sunshine will come out. Brand new stuff there from Frenchies, Blues Destroyers. Nighttime is the right time off of their record Love is Blood. Appreciate them for sending that over. Uh, I'm Cable Smith, by the way. Thank you guys and gals for being here as we are rocking and rolling on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. This is episode 455, by the way. Can't believe it's been, what was that, nine, almost nine years? So uh, you guys are still here, <laughs> and so am I. And I wouldn't have it any other way. So thanks for tuning in. It's great to be here talking outdoors with you. And uh, we're going to talk some pop-up blinds here momentarily because, to be honest with you, uh, I just, with elk hunting and pronghorn and kids and just life in general, uh, didn't have time to hang as many tree stands as I wanted to. I bought them. They're in the garage. They're still in the garage. Uh, So I decided this season that uh, I was going to implement pop-ups into my bow hunting setups a lot more than I ever have before. And I'll give you my thoughts on how that's worked out here in just a second. But before we do that, this segment of the show is brought to you by the brand new First Light Catalyst System. Uh, This is a shell jacket that, and I wore this, uh, by the way, bow hunting last week. It was raining, it was windy, it was disgusting. And the Catalyst not only kept the wind at bay and although not waterproof it is water resistant because i got dumped on never got wet i love the functionality of the pockets it seems so ridiculous to talk about pockets right until you actually put on a jacket or pants and and you're like what the hell my cell phone won't even fit in these things and in today's day and age whether you like it or not that's uh that's pretty important because for many of us that's our camera as well as our lifeline to everything that is so superficially important in this world, right? You know what I'm talking about. Uh, but anyway, the catalyst is, I mean, I don't see myself wearing anything else this whitetail season. You should check it out, and you can do it at firstlight.com. First Light, go further, stay longer. Uh, so, pop-up blinds. This is something that I've hunted out of some over the years, I uh, actually missed, probably missed the biggest free-range buck I've ever hunted out of a pop-up blind about five years ago. Um, shooting through, <laughs> it was advertised as shoot-through mesh. Well, I never practiced shooting through it. I just assumed that my arrow was just going to fly right through it like it should have as advertised, but it didn't. And uh, that arrow went right underneath that buck. Never saw him again. And that has haunted me since that day and pretty much because of that I kind of wrote off 
pop-up blinds. Uh, definitely still use them. You know, turkey hunting, if it's raining, I'd throw one up. Although I don't really like deer hunting for turkey. I like to go run and gun them. But sometimes you have to. So, this year, my friends over at GSM Outdoors, uh, they sent over some of their brand new Executioner pop-up blinds. And I don't know what your thoughts are, what things that you do and, and don't like about pop-ups. I can't stand zippers. They're so noisy. Uh, just absolutely don't like them. And I think animals on a calm day can hear those for hundreds of yards. So um, this new Executioner blind, and it, I think it retails. Um, I think it retails for one seventy. Uh, but anyway, it only has one zipper, and that's your door in and out. One person can set this thing up in literally three or four minutes. And still, you know, they sent four of these, and I was like, okay, well. Like I said, uh, I haven't gotten all my tree stands hung. It's going to be more of a late season deal for me this year on that front. I'll be hunting out of the existing ones from last year. Uh, but as far as setting new stands on, on trails that I want to hunt, I said, you know what? We're going to give these pop-ups a whirl, uh, both in Texas and Oklahoma, at, at both places. So I set one up on my uh, stealth cam up near Wichita Falls a couple weeks ago. Actually, it's been about a month. Thinking, oh, we'll see. And I didn't brush this in at all. Didn't even brush it in, just set it up. I've got the wireless stealth cam there that's sending me live pictures. And there were deer there the day that I set it up. I set it up that morning, had to leave, go back home, you know, responsibilities for the family. And there were deer there that afternoon. So clearly didn't bother them. And I've had... Every day since then, hogs and deer at that feeder at various times, all times of the day. So I sat in that blind on, uh, what was that, last Wednesday, two Wednesdays ago. Um, and thinking, you know, it's only 25 yards from the feeder. If the wind's wrong, these things are going to, animals are going to smell me. I had four whitetail feeding literally right there in front of me for multiple hours. Uh, just uh, decided not to shoot them. There was a couple of fawns with one of the does and didn't really just didn't want to shoot. I was thinking maybe a buck would come in. So that afternoon, I knew there was a very heavily used game trail on another part of the property. And a cool thing about this trail is that it's elevated because there essentially are the ruins of an old stagecoach house um, right there on our place in Byers, Texas. And uh, I don't know how old it is, but apparently Byers used to be a bustling hub of commerce. And all that's left now is about a three-foot wall on the back and then two sides. So I set up this blind on the back of this thing so that I was probably just just five feet above the overlooking the trail uh, where I expected the deer to be crossing, and I knew that they would be based on the uh, the signs that they'd left and tracks and droppings. And the other cool thing about this is that engraved in one of the rocks, my buddy Jay, who owns the property, it says Jay and Lori 
1994, and that is the spot where he got engaged. So just a little family history there on our dear lease is, is still in his family and has been for a long time. Um, so anyway, set this pop up there and thought, well, you know what? I'm going to brush it in a little bit. And I didn't go overboard. I took out a saw, cut some limbs down, brushed it in a little bit, you know, kind of tried to hide it, but it's still kind of noticeable. And I didn't know what to expect, you know, based off of the fact that deer came into that other feeder without even making even a half-ass attempt to brush that blind in. I thought, you know what, we'll give this a whirl. But the wind ended up being completely wrong for where I thought the deer would come from. But I said, you know what, it's only four miles an hour. I think this blind is going to, you know, cut that wind out as much as possible. Although I did eat deer kidneys the night before, and so it was a little gassy in there. <laughs> I don't see how the deer didn't smell it, but hey, I'm just telling you, this is I am a firm believer in pop-up blinds now because coming from downwind, I had three different doe. I had no idea it was there. They never even looked up at that blind until they were right in front of it. Literally had no clue. And I wasn't even going to shoot one of those deer. Just gonna let them all just keep going about their business. Actually, did I let them go? And there's no feeder, there's no corn, there's no nothing, just a game trail. And then I'll be damned if the oldest one didn't walk back, big mature doe, and look at that blind. She just knew something was up, couldn't quite figure it out, and she never snorted. You know, she didn't ever stomp her feet. But I just was like, you know what? If she comes back during the rut with a big buck, she's going to look at that blind. So that's all she wrote for her. I stuck that 20-yard pin right on her, let that slick trick eat at 20 yards, and she ran. And if you look at my Instagram, it's like a crime scene. I mean, uh, I was a little worried, though. I mean, I knew I made a good shot, but she didn't start bleeding for 40 yards. I saw her sprint off and gave her a few minutes. Looked for that blood trail, couldn't find it, couldn't find it. You know, after 40 yards, it was just like the floodgates opened up and whew, just hemorrhaging, hemorrhaging. Uh, there she was, only made it 75 yards. So, moral of the story, and, I, and I'm going to be back in that blind next weekend. I'm taking Henry, my son, this weekend, and hopefully I'm going to let him see me shoot a hog or a deer for the first time as he's been on couple dove hunts and uh, duck hunts, but hasn't seen a big game animal get shot yet. So that's the goal for this weekend, and I'll be back to bow hunting uh, out of that thing. And my two cents, for what it's worth, is that I should have been hunting out of pop-ups a lot more. Um, and, and another cool thing about this executioner is that the window slits are, you can close them or or open them to your liking. And it's a hook that slides up and down, basically a solid piece of plastic that's you know vertical in that window opening. So you control how much or little you want to be exposed. And there is no mesh, none of that crap, um, but it does have windows on all four sides. 
And I just can't tell you how much I absolutely love how light this blind is, how easy it is to set up, and how effective it is. And that's, I mean, that's all the proof I needed. Well, especially, I mean, there was a lot of, I mean, my wife always says, do you always, do you have, do you have to fart? I'm like, well, what are you going to do? You're just going to not do it? No, you don't argue with your body. You just do it. And luckily she doesn't uh, return the favor, <laughs> but uh, I never hold back. And uh, I wasn't doing it that morning and dear didn't even know. And I've, yeah, I've had guys like Bill Winky from American Whitetail on guys who are so particular about their blinds that basically they like vacuum seal them, you know, put plastic wrap underneath the blind itself and duct tape it to the outside of the blind so that it is seriously 100% enclosed except for whatever window they have open. I don't do any of that stuff. And you might be thinking, well, Cable, he's hunting mature Midwest bucks. Well, yeah. Uh, he is, and those bucks are probably pretty wary, but all I can tell you is what's on my camera, and within hours of setting that first blind up and not brushing it in, I had 145-inch 12-point that is my number one hit list buck uh, right there on camera in front of that blind. So, while we all know that human scent is supposed to be entirely offensive to deer, uh, and I do believe that it is. Uh, we need need to be as scent-free as possible. I don't believe that adding a pop-up blind to the equation uh, and introducing it, even in the middle of the season, um, is that big of a deal. So set up your pop-up blind. That's my advice. See what happens. Uh, good things have happened for me. I think it's going to continue for the rest of the season. And check out that Executioner blind from GSM Outdoors. You can find it on their website. That segment, by the way, was proudly brought to you by Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging Technology. You know what I had with me walking into uh, those blind setups in the morning anyway was the Pulsar Helion. Why? Because it tells me where the deer are. I don't risk blowing them out. If they're right there around the blind, whether that's a pop-up or a tree stand, I just wait. It's not going to hurt anything, uh, and I'm not blowing the animals out. Of course... It's also an invaluable tool for hog hunting. You need to check it out. It's the Pulsar Helion, and you can find it at PulsarNV.com. When we come back, we'll be joined by longtime Illinois whitetail outfitter Mike Pavlik of Golden Triangle Whitetails. I've never hunted Midwest bucks, but I'm heading to Pike County, Illinois this November for a muzzleloader hunt. And we'll discuss what to expect and why those bucks get so damn big in that part of the world. That's next on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. And they get by. They get by. We all get by. Pike County, Illinois, and the surrounding area is hallowed ground for whitetail hunters. And with 21 years' experience, Golden Triangle Whitetails is the oldest outfitter in the state. Spread out over 14,000 acres, they have 350 acres of food plots, 500 tree stands, and over 80 box blinds. The guides take pride in having hunters harvest giant Midwest bucks. Golden Triangle Whitetail hunts the Illinois archery, shotgun, and muzzleloader season. They have a full-time chef and excellent lodging. Book your whitetail hunt of a lifetime by going to www.goldentrianglewhitetail.com today. 
Have you been looking for new and innovative products in the shooting industry? Then check out IOTA. Their scope rings and stocks are second to none, especially with their patented zero light and key lock technology. Based right here in Texas, check them out at iotaoutdoors.com or call 979-229-4664. IOTA Outdoors, inspiring innovation for hunting and shooting. Hi, I'm Jim Shockey, and you're listening to Lone Star Outdoor Show. Down the road I go, forever onward I know, forever onward I'll go, forever searching. There's a little Michael Cool Band bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoors show, Down the Road I Go. Cable Smith here, thank you for joining me today, I do appreciate you, as we are all set to talk some big Midwest whitetails, and we'll do that in just a second. Um, but before we do that, I want to talk to you about Dallas Safari Club. And if you're not a member, ask yourself why not. When it comes to organizations who put their money where their mouth is, who routinely stand up for hunters' rights, and for hunters that are getting just obliterated by social media and the crazy left-wing press. Uh, for legal hunting actions, Dallas Safari Club always comes to their aid. They're passionate about hunters' rights, education, and conservation. To get plugged in with this great group of like-minded folks, check us out at biggame.org. All right. Well, let's talk about something that I'm pumped about as I will be heading up to Pike County, Illinois, and the surrounding area for my first ever Midwestern whitetail hunt. And I'll be doing so with Mike Pavlik of Golden Triangle Whitetails, who joins us now. Mike, thanks for being here. Well, nice to visit with you too, Cable. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. So first of all, um, how is the weather up in the uh, Golden Triangle area of Illinois? It's just starting to get pretty good. Um, our uh, beginning of the month in October was not good at all. It was in the you know high 80s and rain and just not good for deer hunting and then started to get nice and cool. We had a couple of nice frosts. Obviously, we didn't have anybody here hunting that time. And then lately, it's been not bad. Uh, we had a frost this morning. Yesterday was 40-mile-an-hour winds, which didn't bode very well for uh, for hunting. But uh, from here on out, it looks really nice, like, you know, in the low 30s, mid-30s, high in the 50s, uh, which is perfect. Hmm. So. Yeah. And so when does the uh, Illinois bow season open? Um, it opens up October 1st. Okay. It goes so. through about January 15th-ish. Yeah, so pretty much the same as uh, Texas. Yeah. Uh, right on. And as far as um, the operation, you know, Golden Triangle Whitetails, uh, the, the the area is famous. Pike County, County Illinois, is, is a thing of lore among whitetail hunters, those big uh, Midwest bucks. So why did the bucks get so big there? And, and I'm, obviously they're they're big-bodied, but... It's those racks that everyone wants, you know. Um, what is it about that area that, that grows them so big? Well, the, the main thing about the area is, number one, is if you Google Earth, Illinois, you'll see the majority of the big woods are centered right in Pike Ends and Brown County, right in there. And actually, we have the track of ground where Pike Ends and Brown County meet, hmm. and we got about 4,000 acres right around there. And there's a big state park there, and we border that on all four sides uh, as far as our some of our tracks of ground grow. 
And then we have ground in Schuyler County, which is also really good. But even in Schuyler County, you have to have the ground. It, some of it's way up and down, like big ravines up. Big ravines up. Deer don't like that because they can't escape. And the tracks that we have are more like more of the rolling, CRP, that kind of a thing. And then also, back in 1980, uh, you know, Pike County, I think the whole county maybe shot 1,100 deer, I remember. And then they introduced CRP, which means all the ground that wasn't as good for the farming, they let them set aside into CRP, and then they paid them for it. So now all they did was just add more bedding, more cover for the deer, and then it adjoined uh, the big crop fields, and that's how they get big. Hmm. And then along with uh, the predominant tree out here for us is the white oak. We have white oaks everywhere. So, I mean, there's acorns everywhere. Good um, crop this year? Yeah, really good crop. I mean, it's hard to even walk into your stand because you can hear it. It's like rain. <laughs> you can hear it on a windy day with all the acorns falling. So that makes a big difference, too. So they got plenty of good stuff to eat. Yeah. And, and in addition to the acorns, do they get uh, any part of their diet from agriculture? Oh, yeah. I mean, I have, even just us on our food plot this year, we have uh, cornfields. They yield 250 bushels of corn, which is amazing. And then on a, you know, six-acre field, three acres are gone because they already ate it. I mean, they just shredded it. Hmm. And you got to plant it to turnips. I mean, it's frustrating that there's so many deer there that do that. And that's why the farmers, you know, they want you to shoot as many deer as possible because there's just they just destroy a field so fast. Um, and it just, it's good for us, you know, but you just got to keep them, keep them eating. How's that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. so you mentioned that you got a high deer density. I would say Texas, you know, there's certain areas that aren't as high as others, but you buy your license over the counter and boom, you've, you've just purchased five deer tags. You can kill up to three bucks and two does. I don't know many people that kill that many, but you can, um, as a resident of Illinois, is it is it easy for you to do you just buy a license and you get your tag, and is it just for a buck, or can you kill a doe? How does that work? Um, yeah, in Illinois, uh, legally, even a resident or a non-resident can only kill two bucks. And, you know, back in the day, it was unlimited tag. You could get, you know, as many buck tags as you wanted to spend $25 on. Mm-hmm. And so did that, and that's helped a lot, too. And the doe tags are basically unlimited to get as many as you want. Um, and then we even they introduced a late-season doe tag, which means everybody that has unused tags can go shoot a doe. And uh, that's kind of how we do our, our doe cleanup as we wait till the end of the season. And then, uh, you know, we'll do some doe hunting where we think we need some does killed. So uh-huh. that's how we do it. Well, like we said, this is a, an area that I've, I've never been to. I'm excited to come hunting with you. Uh, into November and uh, first few days of December, which is the muzzleloader season. So archery runs, like you said, October through mid-January. Is the muzzleloader season just the three days? Yep. Yeah, that's it. Three days, but three-day gun the weekend after Thanksgiving, and then a four-day gun, and then a three-day muzzleloader, and that's it for the gun. Okay. And um, most of those last two seasons will be all food plot hunting. You know, uh, box lines, lots because they're going to be coming. You know, like the farmers will have their fields out, and then we got a four-acre field of corn, a three-acre field of beans, and uh, 
it's, it's up and hunting to see a lot of deer. Uh huh. So that's what when I come, it'll be hunting out of like a box blind in a in a uh, food plot. Yep. Yep. Perfect. What and how cold will it be? Hopefully, real cold. <laughs> Older the better. Um, usually, just for the last couple of summers, have been pretty good. You know, um, not this year, but last not last year, but the year before that, we had a snow on that Sunday, the last day of it, and we we shot four Boone and Crockett that day. Oh I mean, they just they just come out of the woodwork because it's just like okay, we know they're there, and it just forces them to come and eat and. Obviously, with the snow too, the hunters can see real well. So you know that that makes a big difference too. But uh, it, it it bodes really well when you're going to be here. The colder, the better. Uh huh. So that's good. Yep. Right on. And you know, like we said, um, this area is legendary, Golden Triangle. I mean, that's the, the name, Golden Triangle Whitetails. But you've been doing this a long time, Mike. Even before Pike County really got out there into you know. The mainstream as a as a whitetail mecca. Yep. Um, yeah, we started. I heck, I started hunting in 1980. Um, but then, as far as the uh, and a farmer just let me go. I used to sell insurance, and the farmer said, "Oh yeah, we got plenty of deer to go hunt here." And I was like, "I didn't know what I was doing, but oh boy, did I see a lot of deer." <laughs> and uh, then I got pretty good at it, and it's just like okay, but. Uh, yeah, like I say, in 1980, when they changed that uh, to the CRP, it was amazing. Uh, like I said, I think I mentioned that before, where Pike County only shot like 1,100 deer all gun season. And then I don't know how many thousands, I mean, Illinois shoots over 100,000 deer with um, their gun season now. There's a lot of deer out there, a big population. And, you know, if you let them grow, and even on our website now, we just posted uh, 368 pictures um, for the trail cams. And I've got another at least 60 that we're going to post probably in the next two days. I mean, we got some big ones. I mean, nice ones. Um, and the good news is, you know, if they're there, you can shoot them. You know, if they're not there, obviously, you know, I'm not saying they show their face every day. But if you know they're on the farm, it's like, well, yeah, this is pretty good. I might have to wait for this one. So uh, that that has been really good this year. Uh huh. Okay. And you've been doing this 21 years? Yep, 21 years, actually the oldest outfitter in Illinois. So. And, and, Mike, when would you say, um, and I don't know if it's like because of Lee and Tiffany or, or some other you know famous whitetail hunters that have been on TV, but when would you say that, that Pike County really gained steam as this, as this place to go kill a big buck? Uh, they probably, oh, probably in the 90s. Uh-huh. Um, I think more when, like, Jewelry Brothers and stuff coming out of here and, you know, uh, started, you know, doing more of the filming and that aspect than advertising. I mean, it was always good. It was always really good. Um, and then, you know, when they started doing that. And then the other thing, too, was when obviously there's a lot of outfitters out here now, but when the outfitters come out here and then you put a kind of restriction on, you know, we want a 130 better, 140 a better shot, all that does is just make everything better, mm-hmm. you know, makes the hunting actually better because now more people are trying to shoot bigger deer, which means the three-year-olds get their bees four, five, and six. Um, and by us, you know, you get a three-year-old, he's a 150, 160 probably if he's got the normal genetics. Uh-huh. So you're you're already talking about a pretty good quality deer there. 
Yeah, uh, I had on our Texas Parks and Wildlife uh, whitetail program leader last week. Um, for to, we were actually talking about bovine tuberculosis and and whitetails. And anyway, we got to discussing the average age of uh, a whitetail buck being shot in Texas, and um, basically he said it's three and a half. You know, that's a mature free range low fence buck these days. Uh, before we before we introduced antler restrictions, uh, it was two and a half. So. You know, people are, and then, you know, the law is forcing them to be more selective on, on that front. But uh, three and a half sometimes is, uh, <laughs> you know, if people see that book, it's going down a lot of times. So management, obviously, key to uh, to growing these bucks big. And you manage, what, uh, 4,000 or so acres? 14,000. Four, 14, oh, my God. 14,000 yeah. spread across yep. three or four counties? Yep. You let them grow and let them grow, and you know we limit the amount of hunters we take uh, because what we do is each guide will have his own thousand acres ish that they guide on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guys live here; they're not allowed to hunt. The only job is to get you the biggest deer on the property. And so when you do that, and you have all these shooters, you don't shoot them all, of course. And then next year, all they are is just bigger. It's just, it's just amazing. Well, it, it certainly is fun watching them grow up. There's no doubt about that. Well, we do need to work in a quick break here, Mike. Um, let's do that. Come back, discuss the peak of the Illinois rut, and then also what advice you give to your hunters before you drop them off at the stand, uh, among other things as well. That segment of the show, by the way, brought to you by Sendero Seed Company. They've got everything you need to keep a happy and healthy whitetail herd, including the Dr. Deer-backed Buck Ford jokes. Check them out. SenderoSeed.com, Sendero Seed Company for all your planting needs. We'll be right back with more from our good friend Mike Pavlik of Golden Triangle Whitetails. You're listening well, to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I'm glad we got to talk, but I'm faithful to my wife. I don't never break the law. I don't know where you're headed for, but I know where you've been. Howdy, folks. I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatOfDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800 9 Go hunt or visit our website at www.biggame.org. I'm back there, I got blessed man ripped from us by the devil's hand. Only thing in his plan was love and rock and roll. Cowboy from hell on a twisted trail swept away where the wild winds will. Sat through this, you can never There's a little dime bag. Daryl bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoors show. For you. Thanks for being here, by the way. I'm Cable Smith. Thanks to our title sponsor, as always, 
friends over at Dallas Safari Club. Also, thanks to Lone Star Beer and Off Power Polaris. We're talking some big Illinois whitetails here with our friend Mike Pavlik of Golden Triangle Whitetail. But before we jump back into that discussion, I do want to tell you about my upcoming trip with John X Safaris. The date is June 7th through the 15th. I've got room for two more hunters. Uh, We're taking eight guys total. We've got a great group already put together. And if you want to fill those last couple spots, maybe you and your dad, you and your wife, uh, your son, whatever. Hell, just a buddy. Shoot me an email, LoneStarOutdoorsShow at gmail.com. We're going to be hunting Plains game, anything from Cape Buffalo to the tiniest blue diker antelope. Uh, whatever your heart fancies, it is the trip of a lifetime. Shoot me an email, LoneStarOutdoorsShow at gmail.com, and I'll send you the information. Okay. Well, Mike, thanks for sticking around. Let's talk about the uh, the Illinois whitetail rut. Ours is probably a little later than yours just based off of uh, – weather patterns, but when do things really get going for you as far as the peak of the whitetail rut there in Pike County? Uh, it'll be probably around the 5th of uh, November, right in there. Oh, wow. So they're getting fired up right now. I mean, ours are probably still a couple, uh, two, two, three weeks away here in the North Texas area. Yep. Yep. They're just getting, and like I say, it's really, really weird how you'll be, uh, like the farms that we have in um, oh, Brown County right now. I mean, they're going. I mean, there's, you know, the three-and-a-half-year-olds, two-and-a-half-year-olds, are they're, they're going pretty good. And then Schuyler County, for whatever reason, I'm, I've been guiding for 12 years, and they're, they're always about a week behind them. I don't know why, but it's just that's hmm. the way it is. You know, they're scraping and doing all that stuff, but it's, they're definitely not doing any chasing yet. And as the crow flies, how many miles apart are those places? 30. Oh. Well, <laughs> that's that's a lot different than, I mean, in Texas, obviously, it's a huge state. Um, where I hunt primarily, like I said, our rut is middle of November to, you know, Thanksgiving is, you know, it's going right. to be great. And then you go down to South Texas and you hunt the, and it's, I don't know if you, if you know, but it, we have a golden triangle in South Texas. And right. uh, if you go down there, then the rut is literally like the week before christmas through the week after christmas it's crazy yeah it's it's like and i don't know why it's just that's the way it is yeah yeah what i want to know is how you guys have your operation set up you said you have fourteen thousand acres um now right now is bow season so i imagine most of your hunters are in in tree stands right yep and so how many tree stands do you have out uh we've got about 500 Holy and Lord. about 85 or 90 box blinds we put out. Oh, yeah. Yep. Wow. Okay. You set these up strategically to – are you setting them up basically to try to catch bucks coming out of – or to and from their bedding areas? It's both because, like I say, each guy has his own farm, and each farm, you know, 1,000 acres-ish, and or you know a couple farms together, but each guy will set his own farm up either with me or with my son who's the head guide. And most of my guys, the core guys, have been with me ten to fourteen years on the same farm, so they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, they move stands, they tweak stands every day. I mean, every day that's what they're doing because the deer change, and you got to kind of change with them. Uh, the key to us is you got to be in the woods. You got to hunt all day. And 
I mean, the percentages go way up. You know, they go probably from 60% shooting. One year we had 91% shoot, you know, actually drawing their bow back and actually flinging an arrow. Uh, other guys have hunted all day. And I tell everybody, I said, you know, it's, just, it's not rocket science. It's, you know, we've never killed one at the lodge yet. <laughs> and, uh, I was going to ask you that because yeah, you've been doing this yeah. such a long time. When a when a group of guys come into camp, you probably can size them up pretty quick and know whether or not they're going to be successful. And, and and there's obviously sometimes guys get lucky who don't hunt that hard, but I imagine you can you can tell by how much they drink and and what their their mindset is. Some guys just want to get out of the house, get away from the family, you know. Oh yeah. I mean, the key is when, when you come hunting with us or anywhere, I mean, you want to have fun. And that's the key. You want to have fun. So the food is nice. The lodging is nice. You know, we got a cleaning lay. All that stuff is awesome. So that is, it, it's a fun environment. And what I do, too, is is I told these guys today, uh, they just come in today, over my lunch line, I have a picture of a trail cam picture. And he's a 197-inch deer. It's October 19th, it's 71 degrees and 138, and he's walking right by our tree stand. So huh. tree stand right in the picture. And we ended up killing him. That's why I know he's 197. And it's like, you guys want to come in and have lunch? Have at it. No problem. It's awesome. But we've never killed one in here yet. <laughs> and the biggest thing is the getting in and out of, you know, and the box lines are great. You know, you got the, you're over a four-acre food pot, and you got this and that, and you'll see 40, 50, 60 deer but sometimes not the one you want to shoot. You know, you got to go in the woods to do that, to catch the bigger ones, because that's sometimes what they're doing. I'm not saying they don't come out to the food plots. I'm just saying that you have to go where the deer are. Yeah. You know, and, you know, to go all the way in the middle of the woods and then come out at 1030 and then go all the way back in and two, and you do that, you know, five times, you know, that's, that's a lot of pressure on your farm, a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, on the deer, and it's just people... Sometimes the guys get it, and I mean, we have guys that come and like this last group that just, you know, just started. Really, you know, the one guy he's been here seven years. He's killed every year for seven years, and big surprise, first ten minutes, he killed. <laughs> you know, and it's not it, nobody's like, oh wow, you know, that guy got one. It's like, no, that's the way it is. And even with the, if you put him in the right spot, we've had in the last five years with Bo. Uh, people's first buck they've ever shot with the bow is a boon crock. Oh, man. That's pretty good. Yeah. You know? What do you do? I mean, it, is it luck? No, they're in the right spot at the right time, and they hung in there. Because it's, it's your hunt. You're here to have fun. You're here to hunt. You're here to shoot, obviously, the biggest deer you can possibly get. So getting in and out of the woods is, a, is obviously a big part of that. Um, and I don't know if it's legal. In Illinois, but in Texas, um, I've started taking my thermal monocular with me whenever I'm getting in and out of the stand. Mostly getting in. Um, just, I mean, it's made a big difference as far as not blowing deer out. And if, you know, if it means that I sit there for 30 minutes and the sun's coming up when I climb in the stand, well, that, that's okay because I, I can see all where the deer are anyway, you know? Right. Yeah. So, I don't know. Is that is that legal in Illinois? That, I don't know. I couldn't tell you like either way, but all I know if you, I'll research it because if it is, I'll bring I'll bring that thing up and we can mess around with it. <laughs> oh, it's cool. Now I know you know guys have had uh, oh you know where they can see it at night, like, like night vision binoculars. Uh-huh. And you know we'll pull the truck up, and, and I like trucks. I don't like four wheelers because they make too much noise and the deer hate them. Trucks are fine. You just be nice and quiet. 
And we'll tell everybody at the meeting, too, it's not a social thing. I mean, you know, when, when we pull up and we open the doors, you're, you're quiet. Mm-hmm. You close the door quiet. You don't have to talk and tell about your day and all that other stuff. It's like get in the stand with a little flashlight. We walk the guy right in. If you want to turn your Q-beam flashlight on when you get in the top of the stand, then more power to you. But, uh, you know, you're not supposed to do that. So, And you don't blow a lot of deer out like that. As long as you're going in quiet, and we have certain ways that we go into each stand to not blow the deer out based on the wind and what stand we're going to, uh, it, it makes a big difference. Uh, when you're when you're quiet and you get in early, yeah, they they really they really don't blow out when you do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they're five yards from the stand, obviously they're not going to like that. But um, <laughs> that kind of thing. so in in your mind, what is the ideal time frame to give yourself as far as before the sun comes up? When should you be? If the sun comes up at seven, when do you want to be in your stand? Uh, you want to be in the stand by six. Okay. Six would be good. Yep. You want to let it settle down, be quiet, um, and even like with the trucks when we drop people off, um, I leave the trucks running so there's not to start on, start off, obviously going with no light, um, and just less is better. Less is always more, mm-hmm. uh, more better. Right. Well, okay. let's uh, let's let's kind of wrap this up with a story of, let's say, a, a buck that you had on camera that. You finally either did or didn't kill, uh, but one that you know you chased for multiple seasons that kind of sticks out in your mind is uh, that was a you know whether you got him or you didn't just a hell of a deer. Well, actually, the one that I that I told you about, uh, we had one of the hunters come in three years ago, and uh, I mean I get all kinds of good stories. I got more stories. So he he shoots him, hits him in the shoulder. Okay, 12 yards, uh, blood, blood, oh, he's dead, he's dead, he's dead. Well, he's not dead. And then we get pictures of him later on in the season all puffed up and, you know, not looking so good. And then the next year, get pictures of him, oh, Christ, he's alive, he's back, it's off. And we named him Mickey. They had him named Mickey for some reason. <laughs> and um, we had somebody miss him at 60 yards with a, with a crossbow. And then we had that one December where it got cold and same thing, you know, we know he's going to be there. And these are the guys that do good. It's like they listen to their guys. You know, he hadn't seen a really even a decent rack buck in three days. It's like, this is a spot. You got to hang in a spot. This is a spot. Sure enough, he comes out, boom, 197 inch buck. (laughs) Buck of his lifetime. I hope that uh, one of those monsters walks out when I'm there for the muzzleloader season. Um, It's a place that, you know, I've read about, I've seen on TV, and um, excited to to experience it for myself. I'll bring the recording equipment up, and, and next time we talk, hopefully we'll be uh, cleaning a big rack buck and having a cold beer. There you go. I like that idea. <laughs> All right, my friend. Well, we will see you very soon. All right. Thank you, Cable. All right. There he goes, our good friend, Mike Pavlik of Golden Triangle Whitetail. And, oh, just we didn't hit on the the price points uh, if you wanted to do an archery hunt with Mike there in the Pike County area uh, I think it runs anywhere from 2950 to 3750 depending on when you want to go and then the shotgun muzzleloader seasons are uh, 3650 down to 2650 so uh, relatively affordable when it you know when you're talking about possibly harvesting a Boone and Crockett buck uh, that segment 
of the show was brought to you by Rudy's True Texas Style Barbecue and Horizon Firearms. Uh, unfortunately, we are out of time for today. Gotta go, gotta get out of here. Thanks to Mike, as well as Jack Corey of the Florida Greyhound Association. Uh, thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all wear your safety harness and have a great week in the outdoors. Turn me loose, set me free Somewhere in the middle of Montana